Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. What perfect songs in response to our scripture reading. As a minute, we just read when God looked out over the children of men and saw that none, there's none that doeth good. All of our accounts are going to say guilty, but the song mentioned written over that when we put our faith in Christ is paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And uh, what, what grounds we have to, to praise His holy name, to have joy and rejoicing in our hearts for what He's done for us. That's our hope today. It's in Christ and only Him. And uh, what a, uh, just a truth that just brings your mind into such awe and such wonder of God and who He is, His kindness and, and uh, graciousness. And uh, I'm grateful this morning for our salvation. And uh, in fact, I think you will, you'll see that uh, our message this morning is going to fit right in line with that, the fact that our sins have been paid in full by the blood of the Lamb, the fact that we have salvation in Christ, and uh, that's going to be an emphasis of our message today in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, you'll find your place, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, and we'll read the first 11 verses of the chapter. Seek to understand what the Lord has to say to us today. As you have found your place or are finding your place, I'll ask you if you will to stand with me this morning as we read the word of the Lord. The Bible says this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober." For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another even as also ye do. Mr. Dan Alford, if you would, I'll ask you to pray for us uh, before we study our text together. scare, words that ought to bring great fear and trembling, even to the people of God. May we hear these words. May we be people who sound the alarm to a nation that is falling, to a nation that is on its way out of this world. May we be people who know, who see, who understand that the coming of the Lord is real. That God will come in authority and might and in power. And we should stand in great fear for this nation. Because we are a nation 
who is under the judgment of God. May we see and clearly and understand wisely that we are to be the people of God that you've called us to be, that you want us to be, that we ought to be, that we desire to be more than anything else. We humbly submit ourselves to your authority through the power and the ministry of your spirit in this word. Amen. For the prayer. One of the one of the most dreadful sounds in your life probably is when your alarm clock goes off in the morning. It's telling you you have to get up and get out of your nice cozy bed and begin the day. And sometimes days uh, bring trouble, bring adversity, bring tiredness, if nothing else. Uh, the alarm clock lets you know that the time for rest has come to an end, and that clock is letting you know it's time to get the activity of, her, of another day started. As much as we may dread the alarm clock, as much as it may pains our soul when we hear it begin to ring and go off, ultimately, the alarm, the alarm clock is a good thing. Alarm clock keeps you from being negligent. It keeps you from being lazy. It keeps you from missing opportunities. It helps you stay and keep productive. It helps you not to be wasteful or to be a poor steward of the day. And ultimately, the alarm clock, is, for some people more than others, is a needed thing. Some people uh, sleep so well that they wouldn't even think about being up when they're supposed to be up for work or whatever the requirements of the day are for you without that alarm clock being set. People would be sleeping when they're not supposed to be if it wasn't for an alarm clock. Well, unfortunately, today many Christians are spiritually asleep when they are not supposed to be. And Paul, I think, has realized that, or at least certainly sounding off a warning here as he writes these verses. And he's, uh, Paul understands that sometimes you and I need a spiritual alarm clock. We get lethargic spiritually, we fall asleep, which means we get negligent, we become inactive in the service of God, and because of that, we often will find ourselves needing someone to wake us up spiritually to keep us from neglecting our spiritual expectation. Well, as we read these verses, that's what's taking place if we hear them, if we receive the truth that is given to us. It's almost as if God is grabbing us by the shoulders and shaking us back and forth, telling us to wake up, to, to draw up out of our sleep and to be alert and to be diligent as Christians and as God's people. As Christians this morning, you and I have no reason, we have no time for sleeping or being lethargic and off-duty. That is, spiritually speaking, of course, our bodies need rest. And this text is not telling us not to physically sleep, we have to rest. But spiritually, there is no time, there is no grounds, there is no place for you and I to be negligent, for us to be asleep, for us to be unaware of what is taking place around us. And that's what this text does for us. It sets off the spiritual alarm in our lives to let us know that we need to give attention to this area. We need to give attention to our walk with Christ, our service to Him, and our life with Him. What draws Paul's attention to this exhortation in his text is what calls him to sound off this stirring and alertful message is his topic is the final days, the last days. Chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18 is very famous, if you will, a very popular passage of Scripture, a very comforting passage of Scripture, what we would define, what we would call, most would call the rapture. It's what's defined in those verses, that those who... Paul says, I will not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that, that the Lord is going to descend from heaven in verse number 16 with a shout, 
the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Truth that we rejoice in, truth that we celebrate, truth that we look forward to. But with that comes this alarm. With that comes the fact that we need to be alert based on what God has in store. The day of the Lord, a future event is coming. And Scripture is telling you and I how we should respond to this fact. It is going to happen. The day of the Lord will occur. And here's what we need to do because of it. The first thing he mentions in verses 1 through 8 is he says to watch and be sober. He says in verse number 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And why not? He says, Because you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Question I think worth asking this morning is what, what do you know perfectly concerning the faith? The word perfectly means to know something exactly and accurately. Are you practicing this morning disciplines in your life of faith so that you can grow spiritually, so that you can grow in understanding, so that you can know things perfectly, so that you can know things accurately and even exactly? The believers, Paul is saying at Thessalonica, they knew about the times and seasons. He says, in fact, you know it so well, you really, I really don't need to write this. Apparently he had already wrote, written to them about this topic, or he had talked to them while he was there with them. And he says, Brethren, brothers and sisters, you don't really need for me to tell you this again. You already know it. So what I'm asking this morning is how, how well... Do you understand your faith? Are you growing? Do you know anything perfectly about the things of God? And are you doing things in your life so that you can know them with accuracy, with exactness? Paul has introduced a new topic by the way verse number 1 begins. He's not talking about the rapture anymore, but he's still talking about an end time event known as the day of the Lord. He says, but of the times and the seasons, telling us that he is entering into a new specific topic. He's no longer talking about the rapture, but now he is talking about the day of the Lord. There may be this morning a lot of things that you don't understand about the end times and you can get in line with every other Christian that's ever lived. You may not understand terminology like pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, tri mid-tribulation, amillennialism uh, or eschatology. You may, not, you may have never heard those words. You may have no idea what any of them mean or you may what know what one of them means. You may not understand all that, but here's something you need to know perfectly with exactness and with accuracy about the day of the Lord. Is this going to come like a thief in the night? You may not understand the timing of it all. You may not understand the, uh, how it's all going to unfold. But what Paul says, this group of believers knew perfectly well, is that the day of the Lord would come as a thief in the night. So in all your end time theology and what you believe as we study the Scriptures, make sure this is a part of what you understand about the end times. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We can know that for certain. We can know that for sure. Paul says you know this perfectly well. Do not make a mistake about this. Matthew 24, 42-44 mentions this day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Luke 12, 39 and 40 mentions the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. And 2 Peter 3 and 10 all speak of the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Coming like a thief in the night. So if you don't understand a lot about end time theology, know this. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Well, the million dollar question becomes, when it, what is the day of the Lord? 
What is that referring to? It's not, we mentioned it's not the rapture specifically. Well, in the Old Testament, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is used, and in that, those instances, it speaks of impending historical judgments. John MacArthur said the phrase refers to terrifying judgments from God for the overwhelming sinfulness of the world. Writers also explain that usually accompanying the day of the Lord is salvation. Salvation for His people, but judgment on those who are not of His people. Judgment on sin, judgment on rebellion against Him, but salvation for God's people. Just like most end-time theology and end-time doctrinal things, you'll find, read after different writers, you'll find all of them refer to the day of the Lord speaking of different things. Specifically, there's a general commonality of them all. The day of the Lord, for most anyone you read after, is not a specific single day. It's referring to a time. For some, they would say it begins the moment after the rapture. So with the tri- what begins is the tribulation and lasts through the millennium reign of Christ. Some say the day of the Lord is referring to once the tribulation is over and then the Lord returns in His second coming to come to the earth to destroy evil and to set up His millennial reign. Revelation 19.15 speaks of this moment when the Lord will return and it says out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword and that with it He should smite the nations and He shall rule them with a rod of iron and He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And if you read Revelation 19, Satan is then bound and the Lord reigns on the earth for a thousand years. And some say then that's what the day of the Lord refers to and through His millennial reign on the earth. Some say it, were, it covers the time even from that to when Satan is then loose for a thousand years, the great right throne judgment occurs, and then the current heaven and earth are consumed and burned with fire. As you'll find that's another factual truth of the world. In 2 Peter 3.10 it speaks of that. Revelation 21 and 1 speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Again, you'll read many different writers, and they'll all, some will say it starts here and ends here, but that's the, the general consensus. is the time after the rapture up until full eternity begins. This morning, listen, we may be uncertain as to the specifics of the designation of the day of the Lord. It does not mean we should not study. It does not mean we should not give thought to the specifics of it. But again, here's what we know. That day is coming like a thief in the night. What, is, what does that mean? That means that day is going to come unexpectedly and it's going to come surprisingly. A thief is not going to tell you when they're coming. A thief is not going to message you on Facebook and say, I wanted to give you a heads up. I'm going to be at your house in the morning about 1.30. If you got anything nice, if you leave it out on the table, that'll make my job easier. It's not going to happen. A thief is going to arrive unexpectedly and suddenly. You will not see a good thief coming. And the day of the Lord will be like this for unbelievers. They will not see this day coming. In fact, when the day of the Lord comes, the Bible says, and then for when they shall say, they being unbelievers, those that do not know Christ, those that have not put their faith in Christ, they will be saying peace and safety. In other words, everything's sounding good. What else would you want? Peace and safety. If you have a different translation, it might say peace and security. What everybody wants, what everybody's looking for. But the Bible says, then sudden destruction cometh. 
upon them as, a tra- as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The world will be saying everything is looking good for the future. The future is looking bright. We have peace and we have security. Everything is good and fine. You don't need to worry about nothing. With it comes this false notion that judgment is not coming, that the wrath of God is not coming. That's all consumed in that idea of peace and safety is what the world's going to say. Peace and safety. Everything's fine. You don't need to worry about nothing. But what does the word of the Lord tell you? Then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Sudden is the key word because in the Lord's day, that day will come suddenly. And when it does, here's the key. When that day comes, there will be no time to get things right then. It's the nature of when a thief comes. There's no time to get your security tapes in place. There's no time to get security cameras hung. Too late to get things right then. The example is given of a woman who, enter, who goes into labor. I don't have any children. I have no idea what that moment's like. But I think it's fair to say once that happens, mothers, there's no going back. That's the picture. The baby's ready to come. There's no saying, let me get to the hospital, let me get medicine. There's no, there's no returning. There's no saying, hang on a minute, let me, let me get things straight. I see now what's taking place. Let me get everything in line. There's going to come a time where there is not a chance to get things in order. It's going to be sudden destruction. The illustration that's given of the woman in travail also paints this picture of what this day is going to be like. Again, I'm a unaffiliated with this experience, but mothers, I think it's fair to say that birth is not easy. It's painful. There's destruction coming. And with it, pain. And when this day comes, you're not going to have a chance to get things right. It's going to come a day when it's too late. But then the emphasis changes in verse number 4. That is they, the unbelievers. But he says, you, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, you, brothers, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. The emphasis given now is that that day, yes, it's going to come as a thief in the night, but for the believer, for those that are not in darkness, that day should not... That day should not come upon you as a thief in the night. That day will not come upon you as a thief in the night. Based on that time frame I just gave you, believers will not be here for the judgments that will fall during the day of the Lord. John MacArthur says, Believers will not be present on earth to experience its terrors and destruction. The saved are not in darkness. That's why Paul says, that in verse number four you and I when we are saved we become children of light or we become children of the day God saves us put his marvelous light in us that is our designation as his children so that day will not overtake us as a thief whereas darkness in the scriptures refers to being ignorant of divine truth of the bible we're born into that darkness, but God delivers us from that darkness when we're saved. And we become children of the light. And this, I think, is going to become even more apparent as we study through these verses. But here is, here's your great comfort this morning. 
You have true safety from the wrath to come when you believe in God and therefore believe in His Son. If you are saved, if you are not of the darkness, if you are children of the light, then this day will not overtake you as a thief. You don't have to worry about, in other words, not being prepared. You don't have to worry about, well, what if the day comes and I don't have my things in order and I don't have things prepared and lined up. If you are a children of the if you are a child of the day, a child of the light, then you don't have to worry about that. There's comfort in these verses. But Paul's going to make an application in verse number five. He says, You are children of the light and children of the day, we're not of the night nor of darkness. So therefore, he says in verse number six, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And here's why. Because they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Paul, building on his illustration and his, his wording that we're children of light, children of the day, saying we shouldn't do what happens at night. People sleep at night and generally, in the more, in the, again, the general sense, people get drunk at night. Paul, his application is greater than he's not just saying you should not drink in preparation for the day of the Lord. His application is... Much, much more than that. It's, it's wording he's using to help us understand. When he says be sober, he's not specifically saying at this moment, there's much more than, that he's saying than just don't drink as you prepare for the day of the Lord. He says don't let us sleep. To sleep means to be negligent. It means to be not diligent in what you're supposed to be doing. Whereas Paul says, here's what you should be doing, you should watch. The word, that word means to stay awake, to be vigilant, to be responsible, to be watchful. It means to give strict attention to something. Where the word soberly literally means don't be drunk. So it refers here to be of a sound mind, to be free from illusion, to have clear judgment and clear presence of mind. Here's that alarm clock going off. Paul says, do not sleep. The day of the Lord's coming. And based on who you are in Christ, you should not be lethargic. You should not be inactive in spiritual matters. He says, but watch. This morning, when you're reading your Bible, you're watching. When you are gathering for corporate worship like this, this morning, you're watching. When you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus, you're watching. Men, when you're trying to love your wife as Christ loved the church because that's what God has commanded of you, you're watching. When you're seeking to be the spiritual leader of your home and lead your people as you follow, lead your home as you're following Christ and trusting them to follow in behind you, you're watching. When you're trying to consider the needs of others and put yourself on the back burner in, in response to how Christ has told us to live, you're watching when you're serving others as Christ has set the example for us and washing the feet of His disciples, you're watching. We must give attention to our spiritual life. We must give attention to the things of God because of who we are in Jesus. We have no room to be sleeping. But Paul says here that don't sleep as do others. 
So there were some that were sleeping, some that were not being diligent in their Christian life, some that were not watching, some that were not giving strict attention to their spiritual life. So he says some do sleep. What I want to tell you this morning is don't let the sleeping Christians impact you. I was thinking as I was meditating on that part of this text, you know, a lot of times when somebody yawns, the other people yawn with them. And we even say, you know, don't yawn, you're going to make me yawn. Well, be careful how being a, you never know how being a sleeping Christian might impact others to say, well, that's what they're doing and that's what I'm going to do. On the flip side of that, you never know how being an active Christian, a serving Christian, a watchful Christian can challenge and encourage someone else. It says, do not sleep as do others, but watch and be sober. Again, he tells us why. Because those that sleep, sleep in the night. Again, we're not children of night. We're not children of the darkness. So it's not fitting for us to be asleep. Again, all this is spiritually speaking. Paul's not telling you and I that we shouldn't literally lay down our head at night and go to sleep as Christians. It's spiritually speaking. He says, they that be drunk, and again, in general sense, are drunken and not. And that's not fitting for who we are as Christians. Rather, he says, be sober. He says in verse number 8, he's going to specify more about what does it mean to be sober spiritually. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober. Here's what it means to be sober in verse number 8. Putting on the breastplate of faith, again imagery, is nothing you go buy at the store. Put on, he's using imagery saying, cover yourself in faith and love. And for a helmet, put on the hope of salvation. What it is for a Christian to be ready, what it is for a Christian to be watched, what it is for a Christian to be sober is to put on faith and love. Every single day to live out a life of faith, to put your confidence, your full confidence in God. One writer said, faith is full dependence on God. John MacArthur said, it's unwavering belief in God's Word. Every single day, moment by moment, we must put on this faith and live by it. And show forth love, love for God, love for people. This is being sober-minded. This is living in light and in proper response to the day of the Lord that's coming. And he says for an helmet, again, just imagery, put on the hope of salvation. This expectation that Jesus will deliver you and not allow you to be the subject of His wrath. Worthwhile question this morning is, do you have this hope? Each and every single day, you should mentally, maybe if you view it in light of this picture Paul's given, it'll help you understand that every single day when you wake up, of course, salvation don't come and go, but to seek to use the imagery given is every single day, think about putting on the hope of your salvation as a helmet. And the breastplate, the armor of faith and love every single day. But then finally in verses 9 through 11, Paul says, In light of this day that's coming, he says, Comfort and edify one another. Verse number 9 explains to you why we can have the hope of salvation. It says, Because God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. 
wrath this morning is God's anger and vengeance being poured out on sin and rebellion towards Him. We read in Psalm 53 where the Lord looked out on the children of men and saw that none do good. Not a single person. Not a single one. But God in being who He is cannot say, well, that's all right. we'll just do the best we can. In God's holiness, there has to be judgment. Sin has to be dealt with. And what the day of the Lord is telling you is that if you are not in Christ, then you that wrath will fall upon you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you do not have paid in full by the blood of the Lamb to your account, then you will answer, you will have the wrath of God poured out upon you. But here's the great news this morning. If you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted the blood of Jesus, then you have not been appointed to wrath. You have been appointed unto salvation. You will obtain salvation by your Lord Jesus Christ because He is the one who died for you. At Calvary, when Jesus Christ died, the wrath of God was poured out upon Him so that you can stand in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wrath is no longer on you for your sins. Jesus Christ answered for the wrath that was due your sin. That is the glory of our salvation this morning. That is your hope. If you do not know Christ and hear me today, you are appointed unto wrath. But if you know Jesus Christ, and if you have put your faith in Him, then listen to me today. You will obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Because He died for you and He died for me. So that I don't have to answer for my sin one day. He answered for those sins for me. He died for me. And He died for you. And if you're saved this morning, then you've not been appointed to wrath. Say, preacher, I don't really understand the day of the Lord. I don't understand what's coming. Well, here's, if you're saved, then here's what you need to know. You've not been appointed to wrath. Here's your great comfort as a Christian. Yes, there's a dark day coming for this world. But if you know Christ and you've not been appointed to wrath, and why? Because I became a preacher one day? No. Because I'm before you this morning wearing a suit and a tie? No. I have salvation this morning because Jesus Christ died for me. And you have salvation today because Jesus Christ died for you. If you've never trusted Him, if you've never trusted the sacrifice He's made for you, then You can do that today. You can put on this helmet, the hope of salvation. And he says, He died for us that whether we wake or sleep. Riders go back, riders say wake or sleep and are used in different ways. Sometimes wake or sleep are literally used as either you're awake or you're asleep, like in bed at night. But wake or sleep can also be used to speak of spiritually, uh, it's a euphemism for being dead, sleeping. Here, these are the same words that Paul uses in verse 6. So most writers say he's referring to either whether you're awake as a Christian or asleep as a Christian, meaning you're living diligently as you should or you're not. He says, regardless whether you wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. That's salvation. That is our hope today, that when it's all said and done, that we will live together with Him. That's your hope. That's our hope of salvation, that we would live together with Him. The opposite of being appointed unto wrath. That is our salvation. 
And so Paul makes a very simple application based on all this in verse number 11. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. The word comfort speaks of encouragement. To edify means to build one another up. It's like, just like somebody takes a building, lays a foundation, builds it up from there. That's the picture given of what you and I should do to one another because of the hope of our salvation. We should help people stand and be strong. We should promote their growth and Christ's likeness. You and I have a great future to look forward to. What Paul is saying, encourage people because of that. Seek to build people up in the faith knowing that we are headed for a day in which we will be with Jesus forever. If you're a weary mother this morning, maybe you're discouraged and trying to pour into your children, maybe things with your husband are not where they need to be, can I just give you comfort this morning and say that just hold on. Let me remind you today of your hope of salvation. Dad, you may be discouraged with everything going on at home. Your children may not be acting like you want them to. They may not be seen to put their hope in God. That your things at home may be, you feel like you're doing your best, but things are all out of order. Can I, just, can I just try to comfort you and edify you this morning and say, just hold on. Let me remind you today of the hope of your salvation. Wherever you are, whatever your heart's condition this morning, don't. Lose confidence in this. You've not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I think verse 11 closes a very powerful statement Paul is able to say about the Thessalonian church. He says, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, and then he says this, even as also ye do. So the church at Thessalonica was busy comforting and edifying one another. So I, my, my mind, a question arose, which was, what are our churches busy doing? Paul was able to say of this church, you are comforting and edifying one another. He's kind of saying, just keep on doing that. But what are our churches busy doing? A lot of times we're busy arguing. A lot of times we're busy bickering. We're busy being divisive, contentious. We're busy harboring bitterness. But are we busy comforting and edifying one another? On the other side of that, are we busy doing anything? Or maybe we would say this morning we're a busy church, but in all our business, in all our business are we doing these two things? Are we comforting anybody or are we edifying anybody? Our busyness should be to this end. The things we're active and engaged in should be to this end. That people are comforted together and edified. I'm a pretty light sleeper. I don't always sleep great, and I don't think I've ever slept through an alarm. But a few times, there's been a few times when I would hit the snooze button, and I would end up falling back asleep. For some of you, it's much more dangerous to hit the snooze button. If you do, you know good and well you're not going to be getting up. Some people sleep so good the alarm clock can be going off and it don't really matter. I had a brother kind of like this. He, uh, 
when I was living at home, his alarm would go off. We both got up early. I, we'd both try to work out and before our days began, and his alarm would go off, and I think it woke everybody in the house up but him. And I'd get so mad, I'd go in there, and I'd start hollering and screaming his name, turn his light on, and yell at him to get up, and sometimes he'd even wake up, look at me, and roll back over and fall asleep. And I'd go work out and come back up, and there was times his alarm was still going off, and he was still laying there. And then one time, as a matter of fact, I went in there, we'd have conversations the next morning, he wouldn't remember any of it. I mean, he would sleep that heavy. One time, he got mad at me. He said, why didn't you wake me up? And I said, I was in there. We talked. But he went back to sleep. Well, my, I share those things to say this. Let's be careful to not respond in either of those two ways to this alarm found in the Scripture. You can either hit snooze on it, try to put it off, or maybe you hear it going off and it ringing, but you're just going to kind of ignore it. Well, listen to what the Scripture is telling you. Let us watch and be sober. Who we are in Christ means that there's no room for us to be spiritually negligent and spiritually asleep and spiritually inactive. And who we are in Christ means that we can comfort one another and we can edify one another. We have a great day to look forward to as God's people. We should strengthen one another by reminding each other constantly of that day that we will live together with Him eventually. You may not, again, you may not understand all of end times, but here's what you can know. Again, the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night, but know this, you've not been attained to wrath, but unto salvation, and ultimately you're going to live together with Him. You can know these things about the end times. As we stand together this morning, as our musicians come and prepare, as Heather will come around and lead us in a song of invitation, this morning, maybe you just want to come to this altar and thank the Lord for the fact that you've not been appointed to wrath. Because that's only true because of Jesus Christ. It's not because you've been in church all your life. It's not because you uh, raised your children in church. If you've not been appointed to wrath, it's because of Jesus Christ who died for you. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never trusted that He died for you in your place sacrificially, then today would be a great day to settle that. be a great day to put your faith in Him, to trust that He died for you, and that ultimately one day you will go to live together with Him forever. You have no other hope. It's only through the blood of Christ. As Miss Heather comes and leads us in a song of invitation, if you need to respond to the word of the Lord, this altar is open. Just obey the Lord as He may deal with your heart. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.